Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's Happy Hour. She leaned across to me and she said, "One day, you know, you'll be doing that." Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. I'm Nancy Hayes. On the 6th of June, 1981, the original Australian production of Candor and Ebb's musical vaudeville, Chicago, opened at the Drama Theatre, Sydney Opera House. The production was much celebrated and enjoyed a triumphant tour. I played the role of Roxy Hart in this groundbreaking Australian production. I'm Geraldine Turner, and I played the role of Velma Kelly. That's 40 years ago today we opened. Chicago was presented by the Sydney Theatre Company and was a landmark event for musical theatre in Australia as the entire production was constructed by an Australian creative team. So that's final, huh, Fred? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Roxy. Oh, Fred? Yeah? Nobody walks out on me! Nancy Hayes and Geraldine Turner, welcome back to the Stages podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be back. Good to be here and good to be sitting together, Nance, you oh and I. Oh my goodness, where did those 40 years go? I don't know, they slipped by, don't we? We did a few things, mind We've you. done a few things in between. We have, but gosh, I can't believe it. 40 years. A little bit of theatrical water under the bridge since then. Quite absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you know, this was as we said in the intro, a landmark production. In the same way, in, in an entirely different way. But Pyjama Game was, of course, the first production in Australia where it was an all-Australian cast. Which well, was we, about 1957. I that's think. right, yeah. that's right. But now, all these years later in 1981, you know, we, we usually, and still do, buy in American productions and have an American team that come out and put them on. But this was an all-Australian team with um, Richard Werrett directing, Ross Coleman doing the choreography, Roger Kirk doing the costumes and Brian Thompson doing the sets. I must be the, the envy of musical theatre fans around the world talking to you too because uh, your Valma Kelly and Roxy Hart are indelible on people's memories of their experiences in the music theatre in Australia. And also to the younger performers... It's a legend of, of how great the performances were. So. Oh, thank you. That's really it's nice. It's beautiful to think that. I mean, really, it was, it was the chance to, to do Chicago. I didn't think was going to come my way because it had opened in New York. In I saw it in 76 
and loved it. And I had, of course, as we always did, the LP, I think it would have been there, yeah. of the show and knew it very well. And, and then I had the... And, of course, it was Gwen Verdon. And having done Sweet Charity, I was waiting for her to do another big show <laughs> and along came Chicago. And I was really fortunate to spend time with her after the matinee and and talk about the show and charity and the whole thing. But then all those years went by, like five years, and I thought, this will never be done. And then Richard said, uh, do you know the show Chicago? Yes, I said. He said, well, I'm thinking of um, scheduling it, you know, for one of the seasons. And I said, oh, my goodness, is that, re- is that really true? So it was suddenly this wonderful excitement that it would be done finally. Mm. And when he said we're going to do our own version, that was even better, and that was Geraldine was going to play, hopefully play Velma, mm. which turned out to be true. But... Um, you know, it was it was a real buzz for me. And Nancy, you did it again in Perth, didn't you? you I did it with Jill Perryman and Kevin Johnston, her husband, and uh, that was in about '83. That was Edgar Medcalf's production at the Pier the Street Theatre. Yeah, in Perth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. It wasn't quite as elaborate as ours, but. Anyway, it's a chance to do it again. I really want to talk about Richard Wirrett and Ross Coleman. I mean, I know that, I mean, you know, Roger Kirk's costumes were wonderful too and Brian Thompson's set was wonderful too and we'll talk about that as well. But well, can, can we, I've got an excerpt Sorry. from your conversation that, that okay. you didn't stay. Just so let's have a listen to that and we'll follow that up with that chat about Richard and Ross. Another uh, great who is no longer with us is Richard Wirrett. Oh, yes. Of course. Richard, who, yeah. Um, cast you in a lot of shows, didn't he? He did. He was very kind to me. And uh, I met him years before when I was working at Nimrod, the then Nimrod Theatre, which is now Belvoir Street, of course, on that site. And he and John Bell and Ken... Baller. Baller, thank you. Uh, ran the Nimrod Theatre. Um, and I had done... A couple of shows there, I'd done um, a, a play called Ashes by David Rudkin that Ken directed, and then I did Jumpers, which Ken directed. But before that, I did the very first late-night show in a theatre in Sydney in 1977, I think. Maybe it was 78. And it was called Geraldine Turner Sings. I wanted my name in the title. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a show loosely based on love I guess the different sorts of love you know obsessive love you know romantic love blah de blah de blah and that's the show that I took to New York to do a cabaret season in New York anyway we, we used to play late nights at weekends with that and then I did these two shows and so I knew Richard but I'd never worked with him as a director and, and I had the idea to do Chicago you know so I took the idea to him that I want to play Vilma Kelly and he applied for the rights and didn't get them and then the year after that, he was appointed the artistic director of the Sydney Theatre Company when it first started. So, because before that we had the old tote, if you remember, and then that kind of fell in a heap. Anyway, um, so the Sydney Theatre Company started in 1980, and I was put in the first company. So, you know, there was a company of actors that went from show to show, you know, a bit like the Queen's Theatre Company days. And um, we opened with... A terrible old hoary piece called The Sunny South um, which had a wonderful part for John Hargraves in it anyway darling John Hargraves anyway um, all of us were in it you know the usual suspects after that because I wasn't too happy being in the company of of it of the Sydney Theatre Company but we did do that year in 1980 we did on getting my act together and taking it on the road which Nancy Hayes starred in and I was one of the 
I guess supporting players. I had a couple of solos, and it was a great, great show to do. Linda Nagel was in it, Vince Martin. Who else? I think George Bartels was in it. Anyway, who later went on to play Amos. Amos, yeah. yeah. So he applied. Richard Ware had applied for the rights again in 1980, for 1981, and got them. So of uh, Chicago. So then he, of course, put Nancy and myself in it. So, Jeb, you were the one that sowed the seed for Chicago with Richard. Well, kind of, yeah, a couple of years before, being the ever-ambitious young girl that I was, I wanted a big leading role in a musical, and I'd always wanted to play Velma Kelly. Um, so I guess that's true. But really, I do want to talk about Richard and Ross because they created this marvellous show, Chicago, a musical vaudeville, as it was called in those days. Uh, not these days. But... Um, I think it was before its time because Richard had a lot of cross-dressing in the show. You know, we had boys playing girls and girls playing boys. I remember in Roxy, your number, yes, you know, Drink yeah. of Mustard looks sensational. And Julie Tanner, they were all, they were all playing boys. Yeah, amazing. And then um, DJ Foster and Peter Cousins. Oh, I know. Peter they Cousins the played a girl. Peter Cousins was so attractive a girl. Oh, I can't you tell you. Stand beside him. No, he's gorgeous. too pretty. <laughs> too pretty. Get out of the way. Smash him Get out off. of the way. Get, Get off. off. Get off into the wings, mate. But but the thing I want to talk about about Ross, and I'm sure Nancy will have a lot to say too, is that you know he he was an extraordinary uh, choreographer. He had, I guess, a touch of Bob Fosse about him, but he wasn't copying Fosse. By any stretch of the imagination, he had his own style and his own form of dance. You can go on more about well, that, Nancy. I remember going to rehearsals and he'd be outside the rehearsal room and he'd say to me, Nancy, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this number. No idea. He'd walk in, he'd put down the dance bag, leave the cap on, and start to move in front of the mirror. And suddenly these wonderful shapes would be created and then he would shape everybody. They're, he'd try different poses on all the people and and create that way. He didn't come in with a plan. It was absolutely... Working he was the in the spot. moment, in wasn't the moment, he? Always. In the moment. Mm. And he immediately could see what would work and what wouldn't work. It was extraordinary to watch him, but he was always doubtful that he could do it. Which is a great thing to be. But, but also, he was there to make you look good. Absolutely. So he never gave you something that would be too hard for make you or whatever or make him look good yeah. yeah he always choreographed to the people he had in the room and was he a good collaborator because you've got tremendous back dance backgrounds would he listen to your suggestions as well or, or did you not have to suggest anything well because... sometimes I'd say oh mm, Ross that doesn't feel he said no well, well let me have a think about it or something yeah. well you know there were things that I I did say but we always had a good relationship. Oh, yeah. But, I uh, adored him. Yeah. I call him my official choreographer. I did a lot of shows with Ross. Yeah, we did. I did too. Yeah, What did the, the hot honey rag look like? You oh, my God. Nancy, you, that's you talk about that. Because the big dance number at the end of the show. Well, we did, I don't we think did we did that. it. We didn't do that. Right. I think we used that music for the bows. We did. We used that music for the bows and we came down. The set, let me talk about the set for a second. This is Brian Thompson, of course. It was on two levels, I guess, with the, the band up on the second level. So you had a centre entrance. You had to walk upstairs, then come down the stairs. It looked quite... Um, I don't know. I can't think of the word. But you'd walk downstairs onto another level that was a perspex piano that was a playing area. Mm-hmm. And then you'd walk down other stairs onto the flat right. floor. Um, the perspex piano, of course, lit up and became things. Like in Cell Block Tango, it became a pool table, pool table that yeah. we all played pool and then- at. Sorry, go the on. The billiard sticks behind 
bars on the cells. That's right. It was all of that. quite yeah. inventive a set, I think. Simple but inventive and, and wonderful, really wonderful. Well, I've got Brian talking about how he arrived at that creative choice. So, so oh, let's, really? Let's have a listen. Fantastic. Let's have a listen to Brian. What I'd like to do in a way, and it's not, not at all possible, I'd love theatre audiences of today to see what we did 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago because I think there's an awful lot of stuff there that would really, really be appreciated by today's audiences. But we can't do that. Um, Which in a way, I mean, I'd love everyone to have seen that superstar um, and have seen the hair that we did in, in Melbourne. And have seen the Rocky, the, ori- the original, original Rocky, um, but that can't happen. So it's that that's sad, but it lives in the memory, I suppose. Can we talk about a couple of uh, musicals that you designed for the Sydney Theatre Company? First of all, Chicago. Now that had been a not a great success on Broadway in its original no. one, and then Richard Ware had acquired the rights to do yep. an original Australian production. Yep. Do you have any knowledge of that Broadway production? Or I how saw the English about... production. Right. Okay. And it was, it was, it wasn't good. And I think it was a lot to do with the staging. There were things like there were traps in the floor and a trap would come up and up would come one of the characters. And it just seemed to me, I said, Richard, look, look, let's do this. Let's do, let's set it in a prison and let's do it all in black and white. Okay. And what's, and and I asked, I asked the question of Richard, Roger, Kirk, Ross Coleman. What's the sexiest thing we could do in this show? I chatted. I said, I think a lot of fabulous women in underwear playing pool would be a pretty good. <laughs> so that's so we had the we had the pool table shaped like a piano in the middle, and the opening scene they were playing pool, and the girls were all over the cages. And it was a much better production than the, than the one that floated out of Broadway. It's underwear. <laughs> For women. Yes. Yeah. Good on them. Well, yeah. they got it right. They did get it right. Absolutely. They did absolutely. And and that, the, the, uh, the thing that Brian mentioned then about everything being black and white, that, that's what happened mm. until Razzle Dazzle. And then everything just went mad and there were these jeweled costumes and feathers. bejeweled in all these different colours and feathers and everything. Suddenly it became big showgirl time. And it was a wonderful scene where every I was always cross because I was never in that scene. So my costumes were always black and white, the whole show. The whole show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, grey and black and white. Grey and black and white, yeah, yeah. No, the, the basic costume, the underwear, was like a, um, a grey and white stripe. And prison all, stripe. Prison thing. stripe. And we all had our individual styles. And I remember poor Roger being plagued by me going, oh, no, don't, no, don't put the stripe that way on that part of my body. No, no, no I've got to minimise that. <laughs> And he kept saying, what are you talking about? So we both ended up, and we've, we've both been girls with nice busts, yes. and we ended up with these kind of busty ears that pushed us down because we were so busy wanting to be flat. And then halfway through it, you'd see the bosom suddenly rising <laughs> as you danced. Funny. And I used to think, why have we done this? I know. But at the time, it was very important to us, and he was always wonderful about giving you what you felt good in, like, like Ross. Well, Chicago was only the second 
uh, stage production that Roger had designed costumes yes, for. Yes, because he'd done so much for ABC, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah. And the uh, yeah. first time that he'd worked with Brian Thompson and they went on to a, a great partnership. They did, they did. Winning Tony Awards for the yeah, King and I. Yeah, absolutely. A number of shows, including Broadway. That's right. Absolutely yeah. right. And I'd work with Roger a lot, as I'm sure you did, in ABC television days. Well, I didn't we... work in ABC television days, but didn't you? since Chicago I have, of course. Mm, mm. Yeah. I worked with him a lot on television, some of those television specials we all used to do. He didn't do Sentimental Bloke, though, did he? That you and I, that was our first job we did together no, for ABC television. No, that was 75, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know who designed those no, costumes. But anyway, remember. yeah, that was a great time too. Yeah. That was wonderful to get that onto. Wasn't it good? But yeah. just, they, apparently they just got rid of it all. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Someone, it somewhere someone surely somewhere. I've got it somewhere at home, I'm sure. Yes. You? Yeah, but I don't know where it is. I have to... You've no idea how much stuff oh, my husband has. I have so much yeah. stuff too, and my husband as well. If anyone's listening and you have the sentimental bloke... <laughs> from ABC tape, television. We'd love it. Jordan, love to see it. Let's have a listen to Roger, and um, he explains how he, he got the gig on Chicago. How do you begin to find an, an aesthetic for the show, a look for the show? Well, I, I don't know. It depends. Because it's set in a women's prison in the 1920s. Yeah. Well, the thing was, Brian had been asked to design it because Richard asked him to come back from England and be an associate director at the Sydney Theatre Company. And this was going to be the first thing he designed. And I, I only got the job because I was doing Marsha Hine shows at the ABC which were, you know, big musical jobs. And, uh, and that was really my big break in TV. And um, Ross Coleman was doing stuff on the Marsha Hines shows. And um, he said they were going to do Chicago. And I said, and I didn't know Richard from Adam in those days. And I said, well, tell Richard I want to do the costumes on it. So... <laughs> so the next thing Ross says to me, Richard said, give him a ring, come and see him. So I did. And Brian wanted someone else to do the costumes, but Richard didn't actually think they were the right person for it. And he said, I want you to do it, but I, I, you know, I need to have Brian on, on side. So he said, if you can give me a few photos, I'll send them off to him and tell him I'll you know, I want you to do it. Anyway, when he saw the photos, he said yes. And that's how it all started. Are costumes important to you? Do you, do you I've, I'm very much about costumes. Do you have a say often with the designer? Do you talk? I, only if I'm in a position to do yeah, so. I'll yeah. say, look, that, I won't be, that won't suit me. Right. I know, I know what I can pull off, you know. And, and, and most of the time, I work particularly with Roger Kirk, I mean, I can remember from day one with Chicago, he listened to us. Very much so. And we always felt really good in what we were wearing. I can always remember when um, we first started to work on it. Um, like I was, you know, so excited to be doing a big show um, and a musical that um, I think I, I think Nancy, I don't know if Geraldine came or not. I know Nancy came and over to my house when I lived in North Sydney and... Um, I'd done a lot of research on it and everything. And um, Nancy said, 
well, I want this to be good. She said, I've been doing it in my lounge room for years. <laughs> so when it gets on stage, it's got to be right. <laughs> I laughed. I thought that was quite funny. You've been out of that. So had you been doing the show in your lounge room for I a while? I had been doing it for years and, and locking people in and saying, have a listen to this musical, isn't it wonderful? And then they do this and then this happens and doing all the numbers, how embarrassing. <laughs> I think it's gorgeous. But you'd seen the Broadway production. As I said, yes, I had. And uh, I, I've been waiting for years, as I also said, to see if Gwen Verdon would do something else. And apparently um, she and Fosse had, had their eye on the the play and then the film Roxy Hart starring Ginger Rogers for many, many years. And it took quite a time to, to bring it to the stage. But Candor and Ebb, of course, were perfect. And there was such a background with Fosse and Candor and Ebb. And uh, so that, that's how it came about. But then, of course, during the rehearsal period, I think it was, Fosse had to have that um, operation on his heart. So it was postponed. It was supposed to come in the same year as a chorus line, mm. and it didn't. No, the year before, I think. Yeah. And I think it would have won a Tony. Yeah, but Chorus Line won everything. But Chorus Line won everything the mm. year that it was finally Rightly so, I think. Oh, I think so. That was innovative. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. really. But to see Cheetah Rivera and Jerry Orbach and Gwen Verdon. Bunny Martin. Yeah. I saw it too. People. Oh, you saw it too? I didn't oh, yeah. realise it. Oh, yeah, yeah I saw yeah. it too on Broadway. Yeah, oh, absolutely wow. adored it. Oh, wow. No wonder you were so excited to do it then. Exactly, yeah. but we had to do um, getting back together and taking it on the road. That was the carrot. Yeah, it was our audition. It was our it. audition, I think. And uh, well, I, I think Richard just wanted to make sure, and and he liked this particular show he'd seen. And I'd I'd never thought of myself as someone that was a rock singer or going, you know, with the mic and whipping the cord around and doing all these numbers, but. It was, it was really, it was an interesting one to do. And I think particularly by the time we got to Sydney, it had found its place more yeah, than, yeah. than in Adelaide. It, it, it was a great show. We did the Adelaide Festival, We did the we? Adelaide yeah. Festival, yes. Mm, that year. But, uh, and, and Ross choreographed that as well. Yeah. So we were kind of being, so it, being auditioned, Rich, I guess. Well, Richard could see how we got on together, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. and how we could be a team. And that was important. Yeah. You know, the, um, the world premiere of Chicago was at the 46th Street Theatre in New York mm -hmm. on June. June also, how about that? Yeah. 1975. Wow. So um, six years before your, your production. And it marked the end of a 20-year struggle to bring Maureen Dallas Watkins' 1926 play to the musical stage. From 1951 until her death in 1969, Ms Watkins had lived as a recluse in Florida and all approaches for performance rights had met with her customary regrets. So oh. it, took, it took a while for it yeah. to come about. Yeah, yeah, they were after the. Thank God they kept the asking. Vehicle. Yeah, you know, amazing. And now it's the second longest running production on Broadway, the yeah. concert production. And it is yeah. the concert, the, the production that we now know as Chicago, and I think all people under, say, thirty-five know as Chicago, probably under forty, is that that version which everyone has to do now, and that has become what Chicago is. Hmm. And it did come out of that company in New York that, that do encore, encore yeah. that, that do concert versions. So I'm not denigrating it in any way. I've seen some marvellous performances. Exactly. I, I saw Anne Reinking and BB Newworth do it in New York. I saw you know uh, Sharon Millichip, Karen O'Connor yeah. do it here. The marvellous uh, Alita Chinsey, the, the last one, uh, just wonderful, wonderful performances. But really. It, it's just girls in black negligee sort of costumes all looking like thin dancers and 
it's not what it used to be in the beginning, which is Chicago and musical vaudeville with everything based in vaudeville. And Ross and Rod and Richard cast all of the dancers were fabulous triple threats, but they were all different shapes and sizes. Yeah. They were all different age groups as women would be in a prison. Mm, mm. And it was just marvellous. It was. It, it had real character. And, and the characters stood out. I don't think in the, the newer version you really get the character storyline. No, I think that's right. I mean, it's beautiful dancing, wonderfully choreographed. Wonderful to look at, and, and as you said, some wonderful performances. But the story isn't as strong, I don't think. I agree with you. Well, I've, I've read that uh, the, the concert production really had an explosion of popularity because because the show is about um, celebrity and corruption. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the O.J. Simpson trial was happening. Yeah, that's you know, right. Where we yeah. saw... Well, exactly a sports star, an actor. Exactly what the show's talking about. Give yeah. them the old razzle-dazzle and they'll, they'll make you a star. And when Richard actually <laughs> um, put it into that second season, mm. there was quite a lot of feedback that they didn't think that was a good thing. Well, don't you remember that? No. That they shouldn't have done an American musical at the United Sydney oh, Theatre Company yeah. and everything. People are I mean, always complaining yeah, about something. so they didn't fit what... They were supposed to be doing well. It certainly made a lot of money for Sydney Theatre but Company. I think it was the 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 most popular show the Sydney Theatre Company ever did for a number number of years. Mm. I don't know if it's still that case, but no. I think probably with Nicholas Nickleby that yes, changed that, a bit. That changed, yeah. But, uh, but but um, when you think we were going to do six weeks and we ended up doing a couple of years, we did two years of sellout seasons everywhere, and then the third year we went to Hong Kong. Well, if I can quote from Richard's program notes. He says, Chicago was the first of what will certainly be more full-scale, legitimate, or should I say illegitimate, musical productions. (laughs) And many of our company have found it enormously stimulating, stepping away from the legitimacy of Hamlet to Chicago. First production of a Broadway musical to have an all-Australian creative team. So it certainly was his vision that that full-scale musicals Mm. would be part of the, Mm. the Sydney Theatre Company uh, repertoire, and and they certainly were for a while. They were. And what that show had to say about... Um, media manipulation and everything. It was very, you know, very strong topic. Yeah. Let's have a listen to one of the uh, the music staff on the show, uh, a gentleman you might have heard of called Michael Tyre. Oh, oh, right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Chicago was such a big part of, of my life when I first moved up to Sydney and that extraordinary production with Nancy Hayes and Geraldine Turner and Judy Canelli and Terry Donovan. This new production of Chicago, which... I just can't warm to in the same sort of way. I I love the production values that were thrown at that in 1981 and the originality of everything in it. Whereas now, yes, it's very original, but it's very much a semi-stage concert and people dressed in smart things. It's a lot about the dancing and less about the the character of the show. Even though they've had great people in it and lots of good things and audiences love it, I just missed that 1981 version. One of the first times that I'd worked on a show which was all being created by the by people that were in the room because my earlier life in Melbourne was all with JC Williamson's and it was Gypsy and The Wiz and reproduction shows um, that was a wonderful way to learn. Yeah, to come up and work on something like that that was being put together did you know much about Chicago before you started rehearsal on it? I heard I had album? the album. I think um, I I was given the album of Chorus Line and Chicago. I think as a birthday present in about nineteen seventy eight, 
And that's when I first listened to it and went, oh, this is fabulous. I love this. And then uh, in 1981, that opportunity came up to come up and do the show. Had you, you were MD on it? Uh, no, or... Peter Casey was right. was technically MD, although he was working on other shows and I was conducting it and leading it and playing. So It's great to hear that everyone is so proud of that all australian creative team and everyone that i've spoken to pushes that and reminds us of that because mm. it was a watershed moment in uh, in australian musical theater wasn't it it certainly was because you know from for years we as geraldine has said before we've had the american teams come in and recreate and and often it, it's kind of restricting yeah i mean if you have a a talented enough person, of course they're going to bring what they have to the role. But it can be a bit, you know, walk to that position and this is the way put your was. hand there and stay at that say it that way. A blueprint. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And and you have to then put on top of that what you can bring to it. Which you can do, obviously. Yeah, well, you can do, of course. But this was from the bottom up creating it ourselves. Very joyful. Oh, it was fantastic. And the two of you rely on each other so much during the show as well, aren't you? You're foils for each other. Oh, and, um, oh yeah. That's, that's their gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, doing it every night for... How, how long was the run? You did over seven years. Two years. years. Yeah, two yeah. years, eight times a week, plus a year later we went to Hong Kong, to the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Mm. Was there any moments where something went wrong? Where you well, were I not... rem- remember in Hong Kong, just going back to the, to the end <laughs> season... The set had to be made in Hong Kong and apparently when Brian went over to check it, it was out in the middle of a paddock with chooks all over it. <laughs> so <laughs> when they got it onto the stage at the Lee Theatre, I think it was, the Lee Gardens or I think something? so, something like that. We were in rehearsal and the band got onto, because the band were on stage, they got onto their rostra and people were running around kind of trying to prop it up apparently because it was starting to lean and Geraldine and I got to um, Nowadays and there was a big bright blue neon arch, remember? Mm-hmm. And suddenly someone said, run. And the both of us <laughs> grabbed one another and ran towards the front of the stage because we didn't know what was happening, but this arch was falling towards us. <laughs> so it was a bit shaky that season. They, they, it was a bit jerry-built, wasn't it? was it? a bit the jerry-built. But, but, and it was interesting too with the audiences, anything visual got a reaction but any of the smart dialogue really didn't they didn't quite understand what we were doing understand like the monologue or or anything like that it was a bit silent but i mean they loved it they applauded well at the end and everything but they didn't laugh a lot it was interesting it was Mm. interesting then before we came home we had a one-day trip to china remember that i remember it very well and i remember a photograph i still have it somewhere of geraldine and i looking like kind of draped around one another's shoulders (laughs) i got the worst flu i think i've ever had in my life and I could hardly sit when I think about it now and what's been going on currently in the um in those days I just I couldn't I couldn't I had to lie down along the seats in the airport lounge I felt so dreadful and I think quite a few people got this terrible flu and the one day no I don't think so but the one day trip to China was just really photo opportunities people would run out little they'd bring little children and you'd have your photographs yes, taken remember with children going for that lunch and they sang a terrible lunch that terrible pitch well i think it was not an easy pitch 
entire way through lunch. It was like a Disneyland. What was that yeah, like? I don't know. Yeah, and the lunch, the and lunch we place the we were taken village. to was like a, a sort of like the worst kind of Chinese restaurant in, that you'd ever go to in a, in a suburb yeah. of some, yeah. you know, regional town in Australia. It was just terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. It was a very funny day. But a lot of fun on the road, obviously. Oh, oh yeah, and we road. laughed all 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 we day. And you know, we can say we've been to China. <laughs> <laughs> so we just heard from Michael Tyak there. I mean, moving up from Melbourne, and that was the start of a, a legendary career for oh, my time. Absolutely, yeah. And the great Peter Casey, yes. who had helmed the um, orchestra for a lot of. Uh, Musicals. And the wonderful yeah. thing we did was we used to do the show and then go to the recording studio after the show at night. Remember that recording That's studio right. somewhere in the Haymarket? And it was the best way to do it because you were so warmed up. Yeah. This is making the cast the recording. recording. Right. Yeah, we used to do it straight after the show. Which was a great cast recording, actually. It, was, it is a brilliant cast recording. It's a really good one. So did you record it all in one sitting? or was No, it, no, it was no, several no. nights. Several nights, right. several nights. But it really was a good way to do it. Right. Because you were you were, you, just you didn't have to get up in the morning and go and do it and in a studio the, yeah. that where you get to at the end of a show that lovely adrenaline hit that you yeah. have when yeah. you and it's such a hot band as well. It is a it's a fantastic yeah. band. It's yeah. really good, led yeah. by Michael, of course. You Absolutely, know. Yeah. fantastic. There, but also there, there was a um, a musician in the band who left a significant impression on you, Nance. So oh, yes, let's, Nance. Let's go to a sound bite from uh, your first stages conversation. To have to do runs with eight performances a week over years. I couldn't face that now. I haven't got that many years to be wasting. <laughs> not that I think it's wasting them. It's not wasting them, but it does... Um, you do sacrifice a lot, I guess. You sacrifice a lot around, with your personal life. I mean, I didn't marry until I was in my 50s, but I was with my husband, Bob, for some years before that. But, you know, he was travelling a lot with his music and I was, you know, doing shows. Often we were lucky enough that he would play in the in the orchestra. But a lot of the time we were separated. And uh, as you're getting on, you think it's we don't want to miss that chance to be together. Spend more time together. Mm. You met through the theatre, didn't we you? We did. Yeah. When we were doing um, Chicago, the original, the original, myself and Geraldine, um, he was in the orchestra. And, of course, they were on stage. Sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong But he doesn't care, he'll string along He loves me so, that funny honey of mine Sometimes I'm down and sometimes I'm up but he follows round like some droopy-eyed pup. He loves me so, that funny honey of mine. So there's a saxophone player? There was, oh yes, yes indeed, getting back to that. Um, <laughs> there was this saxophone player. I said to Judy Canelli, I really like that saxophone player. No, you don't, she said. Oh, I do. No, you don't. Because he was a muso. Because he was a muso. Huh. And she said, uh, a couple of nights later, she said, well, I've had a bit of a chat to him, she said. Now, he's divorced and uh, he works at the con. He's in the jazz faculty. But I'm going to just say one thing to you. If you're a star, if you become a band mole, I'll never forgive you. <laughs> anyway, she's forgiven me and she's a great friend of Bob's, so that's good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. 
So the love of your life, that must add to the uh, specialness of, of the show, Nance. Of course it does. Yes, of course it does. Yeah, so 40 yeah. years. 40 um, years, well, yeah. Nearly 40 years yeah. on. My Darby goodness. and Joan. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing relationship too. Yeah. It's great. Love Nancy and Bob. We talked about, you talked about the great Judy Kennelly, mm. of course then, who was also part of the cast, playing Major Mama Morton. Mama yeah, Morton. yeah, she was fantastic. Yeah. Like Mae West. I'm yeah, like her costume Mae West. was like Mae West, wasn't it? And she did have she a Mae West that. sort of mm. jaunter. Mm. Yeah, and, and, the, and the walk was Mae West. She went like from one side of the stage to the other yeah. with that sort of swagger thing, but face in front. So it was a sideways. So I deserve a lot of tat for what I've got to give. Don't you know that this hand washes that one too? When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. The number is uh, Sophie Tucker-esque, isn't it? Well, it is a bit, yeah. And when I say Mae West, yeah, in, of course, in all that was and look. or Sophie Tucker. Yeah. It was that kind of, yeah, yeah. With yeah. a long handkerchief. She did have a long handkerchief, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she was fantastic in the role, mm. yeah. As really was good. George Bartels as Amos. Oh, George was wonderful. And talking about musical vaudeville, his number, you know, um, uh, Mr. Cellophane. How would you explain it, Nance? Well, he, he had these special boots that had in the heel they had a, a section that would click into two bolts that were the very front the of the very stage, front of the stage so that he could lean forward you'd notice him and even without clucking like a hen everyone gets noticed now and then unless of course that person it should be invisible inconsequential Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, it should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there, I tell you. Almost lied down. And then go and then like go in around. a semicircle, didn't he? The audience would go wild. And sometimes we'd think at the end of the show, we came to do our bows, our last bows, you know, we'd think, oh, the audience will love us tonight, you know. George Bartels would get this huge <laughs> round of applause um, because he did this wonderful magic trick. And it was sensational. But again, getting back to that Chicago, a musical vaudeville, it was a vaudeville routine. Vaudeville he was singing routine. about, you know, nobody ever noticing him and doing this fantastic thing. While he was singing about, and uh, the one of thing, uh, one of Roger's wonderful costumes too was the the newspaper reporters. Oh, yeah. They had these trench coats that were all made out of newspaper print. newsprint. Yeah, and it was it was so striking. Oh, it was fantastic. The, you we know, we both print. reached for the gun. Yeah, yeah, for that number. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which one Doll. Yeah. Um, Amos is a character that garners a lot of empathy from the audience in, yes. a, in a show which has a lot of uh, nasty characters. Yeah, so. that's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Class. Ah, there ain't no gentleman to open up the doors. There ain't no ladies now, there's only pigs and whores. And even kids will not get out so they can pass. Nobody's got no class 
and that duet that you got to do, Jethro's Velma, with, with Judy Canelli. That's um, right. Two belters, powerhouse performers. I mean, you listen to that recording, you, you sort of... It it's, uh, knocks you against the wall. It's, it's pretty good, isn't it? Fantastic. If I do say so myself, yeah. and I, I had known Jude... I met Jude when I was 16. We're both from Brisbane. Mm. And I met her through Bernard King in those days. I used to go to his house to parties and things. And Jude's a couple of years older than me, but, but we were both teenagers, you know, when we first met. So we'd known each other for many, many years by the time we did Chicago, you know. Yeah, it was wonderful singing with her, wonderful. Is everybody here? Is everybody ready? Hit it! And um, the great Terry Donovan has... Fabulous, um, believe me. Wasn't he good? I don't care about expensive things, cashmere coats, diamond rings, don't mean a thing. All I care about is love. That's what I'm here for. I don't care for wearing suit cravats, ruby studs, satin spats, don't mean a thing. All I care about is love. All I care about musicals before Chicago? He, uh, it was in it's the original, original West Side Story. He was, was one too. of the Australian cast. I'd seen him a lot in straight plays in Melbourne in those early 60s. Then he went to London for a long time. Yeah, he did. Uh, and I can't remember what year he came And remember back. how little Jason Donovan used to, his come, son, used, used to, to come, come and just sit backstage in our dressing rooms while the show was on now and again. And look at what became of him. My God. Wow, you know, and also recently in the concert, the uh, production of Chicago that uh, Gordon Foss Yeah, Jason, Jason played Jason Billy played Flynn. Billy I know. Yeah. Well, he saw his father do it so many, so many times. times. Exactly. And, you know, he Terry Donovan was fabulous as Billy Flynn. He really was fabulous. When we went to Hong Kong, DJ Foster took over. And for he some, was great. Oh, he was wonderful, really wonderful. But mm. It was, was terrific to have Terry because also Terry had quite a reputation on television. Yeah, that's right. Oh, through big, Cop Shop. Yes, and... and Division four and things like all that. those shows, yeah. So it was great to have him in it, yeah. you know. And, and tell me, who was J.P. Webster oh, in the cast? I, I could work out who that was. Jack Webster. Oh, wasn't he great? Oh, he was fantastic. Well, the Mary Sunshine, because that's mm. a great conceit of the show. Also, you yeah. sort of you've got this female impersonator, yeah, playing the um, the gossip columnist, and he was just spot on with it. But there's a little bit of good in everyone, in everyone you'll ever know. Yes, there's a little bit of good in everyone, though many times it doesn't show. It only takes the taking time with one and He was fantastic. He was a great tapper, Jack. Oh, he was in No, 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 Net with me. He was way back then when I was 20, 21, you know, so he was... It's a tough role to cast, uh, Marriott Sunshine. Well, you have to sing the notes, don't you? You have to be, have that falsetto voice, so... Effortlessly. Yeah, that's right. Not at a stretch. <laughs> yeah, he was great. You spoke about Peter Cousins being in the ensemble long before mm. his career... Long before trajectory. he became Peter Cousins. Before he yeah. became a star, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd probably recently out of NIDA, perhaps. Yeah, yeah I that? don't know. Maybe. He, he went... Fairly recent, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. And Pamela French and Trinka Mustard. I love Trink, that name. Isn't Trinka, Trinka Mustard Trinka the most Mustard. wonderful name? Yeah. And what a dancer Trinka Mustard oh, is. Yes. She was what a dancer's body. And she she could do, it was like Ross's choreography, could just 
sit on her perfectly. Perfectly. And Rabina Beard? Yeah, Rabina Beard. You're soaking in it. Yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She she was one one of the the prisoners. The cell block tango. Yeah, she was one of the cell block tango girls. And Um, um, uh, Joy Miller, Dolores Dolores Dunbar. Yeah, and Roddy Dunbar. And Roddy Dunbar was was the MC. Yeah, he was wonderful. Eight shows a week completely takes over your life. Your whole day is planned around. It's focused towards that performance. And and the timing of things. What time do we eat? When do we have time to shop in order to get it to, to, to do to do? So we sit down for dinner at maybe five thirty. And so by the time you get home You've expended all that energy. It's starving. all gone and you're starving and you can't get to bed till half past one or two o'clock in the morning, you know. Because you've got a full tummy. And then yeah, and then you wake up sort of like ten o'clock and you're thinking, Oh God, we've got two shows today or whatever. Yeah. And it's once again it's all planning and getting things organized. Do you have a favourite show? That I've done? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a toss-up between a dancing show and a singing show. Chicago, Les Mis. Yeah. You know, they're my, they're my ultimates that I've done. Which uh, inmate were you in, in Chicago, in Subwalk Tango? Lipschitz. I loved Alvin Lipschitz more than I can possibly say. He was a real artistic guy, sensitive. A painter, but he was troubled. He was always trying to find himself. Every night he'd go out looking for himself. And on the way, he found Ruth, Gladys, Rosemary, and Irving. I guess you can say we broke up because of artistic differences. He saw himself as alive. I saw him dead. But that was a show that toured to Hong Kong, that was one Sydney Theatre Company. Sydney Theatre Company. Yeah. That was an adventure. Yeah, it was great. And the beautiful Gary Ginevan was in it and DJ Foster and all these people that we've lost. I, we've lost so many out of Chicago. Yeah. It's been really hard. And, and sadly, there's some casts that are no longer with us that we've lost yeah. very recently. DJ, you spoke about. DJ Foster, yeah. Gary Ginevan. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Schumacher. Chris Schumacher, darling Chris Schumacher. What a dancer DJ. and fabulous talent he was. DJ Foster, yeah, we said that. And, and, and Roddy Dunbar, of course. Roddy Dunbar. And um, Ross's assistant, Cheryl Ryan. Who Regan. Regan. Cheryl Regan. So, Cheryl, yeah. Cheryl Regan. Oh, oh she was great. She A great assistant that, to Ross. She could keep that choreography exactly how it had to be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. David Fraser. I've never heard of David Fraser. No, we don't. We David was, was an American, married an Australian girl. He played your husband, didn't he? he played, in the beginning, the he first scene. Fred. Yeah, Fred. Yeah, Fred. Yeah. Oh, Fred. That one. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, Nobody walks he, out on me. He was in uh, Best Little Whorehouse. He was too. Uh, that's when I think I first saw him. Mm, mm. But I don't know what happened to him after Chicago. No, no. I don't know what happened to him. Nothing oh, great. he did um, Conquest of Karma Miranda with us. Oh, he did too. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, For STC. Mm. Yeah. Another great stage name I love Lorelai Tate Lorelai Tate I'd known Lorelai Tate and Joy Miller who was also in the cast I'd known both of them since I did ballet in Brisbane when I was you know five or something and um yeah a few Brisbane girls in the show I know I know Lorelai Tate lives in the Southern Highlands now where I live so there you go yeah Robin Howie Robbie Howie I met during Chicago um no I met her during Ned Kelly she was in Ned Kelly um, in 77, I think, or 78, um, 77, I think. And, 
great girl. She has retired from show business and lives, I don't know, somewhere near Port Macquarie or whatever. She lives yeah. up that way. Greg Shand, who I know you're still Greg in touch with. Shand. Oh, spoke to him yesterday. All right. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, great. And he was fantastic in the show and loved being in it. Loved and it. He particularly loved the razzle-dazzle number. He did. He did. The green, the green eye shadow got brighter and brighter as the, as the show went on. <laughs> as you do. As it you did. did. And we, just didn't we used more. to wear sequins over, yeah, our, yeah, over our... Glitter, wasn't it? Glitter over our eyeshadow yeah, or sequins something, or something, yeah, something we like wore. That. Ridiculous. Yeah, it was great. Yes, Greg put on more sequins than you could ever imagine. <laughs> Loved another, it. Look another Greg, Greg Radford. Of Greg Radford. I adore Greg Radford. Beautiful dancer too. Beautiful dancer. Yeah. And and Kevy Johnson. He's now, Johnson now 90, Kevin Johnson. Kevin's Can you just believe? had his yeah. 90th well in January. He took over from David Frezer. David Frezer, right. that American guy, left and Kevin took Came over. Yeah. Um, and then he played Billy Flynn with you in Perth. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, and did Jill play Vilma? No, Mama Morton. Mama Morton, right. Who played Vilma? I'm in just Perth. trying to think. Uh, you knew I'm, what I asked I can that. see her face. Never mind. I can't think of we'll, her name. We'll find out. Oh, we'll find out. Uh, I know it as well, Nance, and I, it just escaped oh, me at the moment Jenny, too. Jenny McNee. Jenny McNee. There you go. Oh, I know her. Jenny yeah, McNee. Yeah, right, yeah, okay. And did I mention Julie Tanner? Julie, Julie Tanner's yeah, gorgeous. gorgeous. She lives yeah. in Queensland. Does she? Right. Hmm. So I went through the, the programs of Melbourne and Sydney, so hopefully I've covered everybody I think there. Yeah, yeah, I think you have. Yeah, company. Oh, what about that? The research is good. Uh, <laughs> going back to the creative team also, I mean, we've talked about the designers and the music department, but um, Sue Natras was the lighting person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. What about that? And John Scandred, it must have been one of his first shows doing sound, First time I worked with John was Pippin, and that was 74. You were great in that. I saw that. Pippin? Yeah, yeah, you were great in that. Yeah. Fastrada. Fastrada, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Yeah. It was a great yeah. production. It won Johnny Farnham and Colin Yeah, yeah, Colin, Colin Hewitt. Mm. Ronnie Arnold. David Ravenswood. Mm-hmm. Beautiful yeah. cast. Wonderful cast. Ronnie Arnold was fabulous. He was. Oh, wasn't he good? Um, yeah, yeah, John Scandred came on board and, and, as you say, Sunatris, who was just, you know, I mean, legendary in show business, really, Sunatris, you know. Of course. She'd been with J.C. Williamson's for years. And Christine Dunstan was our production she, manager. She was too, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and she didn't she run the company, didn't she run a company that made sets or something for a while? Yes. And she... She did uh, 42nd Street. That's right, she did too. But um, but she came to Hong Kong with us as well. That's she, right. Christine came and Sue Natras came and did... She was production manager or something, wasn't she, Sue Natras? Or... Well, she, she would have been. been. Yeah, 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 she would have been. Because yeah. she could wear many hats, Sue. My God, couldn't she, though? I adore her. She used to be stage manager, I remember, when I was doing Promises. And I discovered Melbourne Theatre Company. And because I was only in the second act, in the first scene of the second act, um, I used to go to their five o'clock sessions of a Friday, or 5.30, whatever it was. And I, she'd say, as long as you, as soon as you get back, you have to come to the corner and tell me that you're there. <laughs> And I used to go and see all these MTC shows. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. You wouldn't be Brilliant. allowed to do that these days. No, no you wouldn't. No, no. It was when only I, one block away. It was that's right. Down at Russell yeah, she Street. was stage manager when I did No, 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 Net. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Gail Esler was, then went on was to, to run assistant stage manager. Victorian Arts Centre. She did, yeah. Soon after did, yeah. 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 Um, your stage and company manager was Johnny Whittam. Yes. I adored Johnny Whittam. And this is something else too that... You know, I've just written a memoir and I'm just dredging up all this old, old stuff is fun. And I talked about the fact that, remember Johnny Whittam used to say that this wouldn't be allowed these days either. Such fun in those days. 
uh, all the fun had gone out of theatre. Um, he used to come round the dressing rooms and warn everyone that his sister might appear in the wings that night tonight. Remember? Yes. And then suddenly you'd be doing a number no. and you'd look into the wings and see Johnny Whittam in full drag in a sequin dress with makeup and a wig with stiletto heels just standing in the wings. And he was always he was... <laughs> Niftily dressed in a suit with the Bruno with the handkerchief and the tie. Uh, he and got he, all his shirts do, done by David Jones. They delivered right, them in the boxes, boxes every week. Yes. He was so impeccably dressed, except when he was his sister. But he <laughs> did come around <laughs> to the dressing rooms and warn us that the <laughs> sister might appear that night. Remember? <laughs> God, he'd be fired now. <laughs> You'd be brought up on charges now. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling focus. <laughs> <laughs> certainly Paul Fergus um, Eight shows a week uh, Any injuries that you've suffered throughout? Did um, you have any? Not really No, you're quite no. You warmed up My brain got we injured got a, Your brain got injured My brain when, yeah. I, when Towards the end of the last season in Sydney I was flying to Melbourne On days off and recording a television show Then flying back I was just worn out I was just, you know, mad I was mad And I remember one night at interval talking to Max Lambert, who used to come in quite a lot and play keyboard. And I, he said something to me and I said, I can't hear you. And he said, don't be stupid, of course you can hear me. And I did hear that. And then I went, back, I went on stage to do the first number of, you know, Act Two. By the time I got to a scene before When Velma Takes the Stand, which is a scene with Billy Flynn, I came on stage and um, I couldn't hear what Terry Donovan was saying to me. When his lips stopped moving, I would say my line. But I was shouting because I couldn't hear anything. And, and frightened. I, and frightened. And I got through the number somehow. In the dance break, everything went into slow motion in my mind and I was just... I felt like my legs were going through the floor of the stage. In a full, a full house of people, madness, having a panic attack. Wow. And I remember I got... When I got off, I collapsed in the wings, of course, dramatically, and the boys all carried me to my dressing room. I'm saying, I can do the rest of the show! I can do the rest of the show! Which I did. Don't let the understudy go That's on. right, that's right. It's Pamela French! Stop her, stop her! <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Whittam gave me five Valium or something. I took them all and I was awake all night. <sighs> can you believe it? I so, had a similar thing um, towards the end of the show in the courtroom scene, and I was knitting... <laughs> And I thought, I don't know what comes next. I don't know what That's I terrifying. say next. And my, the palms of my hands, because of the knitting, started to sweat. And I was in all that lace. Remember yeah, that I do. Remember. lace dress that Roger created that was perfect? And uh, I, I could hear the, the line coming up, but I said it. Then the next thing was nowadays, and I got onto the stage and we started, and then... I looked at Geraldine and she looked at me and she thought, I just didn't know where I was. I didn't have any idea. And Geraldine turned me around and she was kind of manipulating me with the steps. <laughs> and we got through it, but it was a terrible, terrible moment. Another, it was a panic attack. A panic attack. Tiredness. A lot had been going on in my personal life. But also we'd had two years of eight shows a week. Yeah. Neither of us had taken a day off. Yeah, there'd been a bit of drama that I was going through and I was trying to cope with that. And it just... My brain just froze. Oh, it's it was terrifying when that sort of thing happens mm. with a house full of people. But we got through it, darling. We did. I mean, you got me turned around and pointed in the right direction. Turned you around and did your steps for you. Pushed it. Get your foot there. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite moment in the show, Nance? Did you have a favourite number? Uh, 
Oh, oh, I think Roxy. It has to be Roxy. Roxy. And that monologue. That great monologue. It's a fabulous monologue. It's wonderful. Look, I'm going to tell you the truth. Not that the truth really matters, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The thing is, see, I'm older than I ever intended to be. All my life I wanted to be a dancer in vaudeville. Oh, yeah, have my own act. But no, 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 they always turned me down. It was one big world full of no life. They named I'm older than I ever intended to be. Sweet, it's one of the best lines ever written, ever isn't it? Now. Has to be. Yeah. And I'm going to get me some boys. Yeah, those are my boys. A whole bunch of boys. <laughs> yeah. L. You want to do it, I know. Uh, Roxy? <laughs> no, thank you very much. No, I'm happy playing Amos. Thank you. Okay. Um, and Jeb, your favourite number? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I would say I can't do it alone, except it was so hard. Watch this. First I, boobity bash, boobity bash, boobity bash. They're the drums. Then she'd wah, 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 saxophone. Then we'd. But I can't do it alone. Then she'd. I Can't Do It Alone is the number that she does in Act One, towards the end of Act One. It's trying, she plays her Trying to impress. She's playing her and her sister and doing all these the steps, act. the whole act, for her, for Roxy, who is being very, well, not interested not at interested. all, pretending she's not interested, um, talking her into a, doing a double act, you know. But And it, it's a, such a puffy song that by the end of it you have to hold on to this long note. It's a killer. But it is a great number, mm. just a great number. Every number's a showstopper. It's an it extraordinary it score. It is an extraordinary score. I absolutely agree with you. It's wonderful, wonderful score. Look, there was a, a moment in the first run-through of the show where you've both independently described to me that you knew that the show was going to be a big hit. Mind um, you, that original was only, what, 10 uh, years of that? Uh, 81. Yeah, yeah. It's only 75 on Broadway, so you were doing yeah. it quite, oh, yeah. we were doing quite it. new. Well, fortunately, though enough time had gone by that Richard could actually do the production he wanted to do. We were only going to do it for six weeks at the Opera House and suddenly we did a gypsy run. I think it was like the night, the afternoon before we were doing the opening night and you just knew. I mean, I know it's always a little... Um, so a gypsy run is for show folk? Sh- show folk, yeah. so that they could come and see it. But it, the, the reaction was so fantastic. And then, indeed, it was from the opening night. So we, we transferred to the Royal and we went to Melbourne and we went to Adelaide and came back to the Royal. And then about a year later, we went over to Hong Kong. So it was a, from that six weeks, it just turned into just the most amazing experience and a great show. Some of those delightful surprises that, yeah, that exactly, come out of the business. Yeah, exactly. And they were able to do their own thing with it, which I think was important for us. Yeah. We, we knew we had something really good going. Well, we didn't quite know, as you never do, because um, you're, you're immersed in the production. You don't know if it's working, really. You're just working really hard. But um, the first, I remember we did a gypsy run and um, invited a whole lot of theatre people and to the final dress rehearsal before the opening and at the end of the tech week. And 
we went on, and I think Richard Werrett writes about this in his biography, but um, we went on, and as you know, the show opens with all that jazz, which was fantastic choreography by Ross, just wonderful. And if I do say so myself, I could sing the shit out of that song. So I did, and we did the choreography, and, you know, and at the end of the number, the audience stood up and went wild. I've never seen anything like it. Okay, they were theatrical people, you know, must, you know, say that. But I remember walking off stage thinking, phew, we've got a hit. You know, but it was quite an extraordinary thing. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And we played to standing room at the Drama Theatre for a number of weeks before we transferred to the Theatre Royal. And then we ended up playing the show for two years. Um, and the first of those Sydney Theatre Company shows to tour internationally, you went to Asia too. Yeah, we you? went to Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Yeah. yeah, and that was funny too because we did it for about a year and, I don't know, a year and a half in Sydney. Played, We did three seasons in Sydney. We just kept coming back and selling out completely all the time. Uh, we didn't do so well in Melbourne for some reason. We played the comedy and, yeah, we just didn't... Yeah, we did okay, but we didn't sell out the way we did in Sydney. Anyway, yeah, so then we had... We thought that was the end of it. Then a year later, they got this thing would we go to the Hong Kong Arts Festival and do Chicago so we got together on a Thursday of rehearsals a year later and Richard said Richard sat down we're all there at rehearsal he said okay let's do a run (laughs) 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 it was so funny and we did and you know what we remembered a lot of it it's only a couple of times in my life we laughed our way through it you know but we remembered a great deal so Chicago, there we go. What a fantastic conversation it's been. Um, and today, when this is uh, broadcast, you'll be enjoying a lovely reunion with the company 40 years ago. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I think it should be marked somehow, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. She said. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, Let's hope we're all around for the 50th. I'm sure you will be. <laughs> uh, ladies, thank you so much. This has been the 200th episode of Stages also. Oh, so, fantastic. Well, what, an honor. what a brilliant way well done, to you. celebrate. I'm so chuffed um, and so delighted that uh, you were so agreeable in coming and sharing the, the wonderful stories that you have today. So thank you. Thanks for having us. And there's really only probably one way for us to go out today. Those two killer dillers, those scintillating sinners, <laughs> Val McKelly and Roxy Hart. You can like the life you're living. You can live the life you like. You can even marry Harry. But 